on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. Vegas is really between a rock and a hard place. You know, it's like, do you raise room rates and raise prices back to normal levels and then basically lose out on the opportunity to make any sort of income? Or do you keep it where it's at and you have to increase the security and make it look like an unsafe place because you have so many police officers and security people walking around? In Spanish, its name means the Meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, lost wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city. The sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 75 of the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Before we get going for this episode, I want to thank my guests from the last episode of the show, Michelle and Dave, who are the hosts of the YouTube channel, We Work to Visit Vegas. They're frequent Vegas visitors and have been vlogging about their trips for the past few years. I had them on to talk about their YouTube channel and the inspiration behind it. And more importantly, I wanted to have them on to talk about their most recent trip to Las Vegas and how they felt the city was doing based on current events. If you haven't had a chance to listen as of yet, I'd highly recommend you do so before listening to this episode as the two episodes are directly related. Just head to wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 74, Perception is Reality, Part 1, or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, on to the show. As important as it was for me to get the tourist point of view on what's been going on in Las Vegas as of late, I felt it was equally as important to get the locals point of view as well. So, my guest for part two of Perception is Reality is Jake Gallen, who hosts a podcast called The Guest List, which focuses on the stories of Las Vegas locals. Jake is one of those rare unicorns who was both born and raised in Las Vegas. He's lived in the city his whole life, and he's been lucky enough to work at pools and clubs on the Las Vegas Strip, as well as be involved in various other business ventures. Jake and I talked about his background and growing up in Vegas, the insanity of working in one of the most famous nightclubs on the planet, and the inspiration behind launching The Guest List. I also wanted to get Jake's take on what's been happening in Vegas over the past few months. As I mentioned in the last episode, the city has been going through some very weird times as of late, and with all the reports of crime and violence in the tourist areas, specifically the Vegas Strip, Vegas's reputation has taken a bit of a hit. I wanted to know how the locals were handling things, and if things were really at the level they appeared to be at, or if this was just another case of social media exaggerating the truth. So please, enjoy my conversation with Jake Gallen of the guest list. Born and raised out here in Las Vegas, 28 years old. I'm from the east side of Vegas, which um, when you bring it up into conversation, gets a lot of like <sighs> moments. <laughs> people know it's a kind of kind of a rough area, but I had a good time. 
Uh, graduated from Chaparral High School, went on to UNLV, graduated from UNLV, and I was I studied health science there. I was in a Jewish fraternity while I was there, kind of connected to a lot of different groups. And I've worked on the strip for the last 10 years, a decade, five years at Planet Hollywood Pool, and the last five years at the world-famous Omnia Nightclub as a model beverage runner. And I've had some entrepreneurial aspirations and ventures. I founded an antique store at one point. I did a chameleon verified ticket app. And now I'm on to the guest list podcast, which I started back in April. And it's crazy that it's been six months already. And we're about like 55 episodes in at this recording. I want to, I want to get to the podcast and I want to talk about that. But first I want to talk about working on the strip and working in clubs and working in pools. I think there's probably this, um, maybe this preconceived notion about what that life is like, a lot of partying, a lot of insanity, a lot of hanging out with all the quote unquote beautiful people. Is that real or is that just kind of the 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 Hollywood story side of it? That's definitely a real thing. I do have to say every <laughs> everything you see in the movies is it's pretty true to a point. Planet Hollywood pool, I worked there from 18 to 23. And that's more of a party pool. It's not per se a club where there's a guest list and hosts and all these different like maneuvers and people you have to know to get a freaking table and a spot. But the nightclub industry, it's it's a wild, wild place. There's a lot of money that flows through there. It could be up to millions of dollars per night. You have Calvin Harris, the world's highest paid DJ there. And everyone there is models. There's maybe only a handful of us that are actually from Vegas. I work there. Most people even flew out to auditions. When I auditioned for the nightclub in 2015, there was 6,000 servers that applied and 2,000 bussers. And yeah, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not even sure about the bartending staff, but right now there's only about like 60 bussers and 60 servers. So it's a very touted position and it's highly competitive with the auditions and then you put a model in front of everyone's name, inflate the ego a little bit. And, you know, it, you, you are working around beautiful people and you get these world famous superstars, rich people. And, you know, some of the, the party um, atmosphere and logistics that come with it. You put that all in a weird combination with people who come to Vegas and kind of just lose all sense of themselves and their priorities and values and it creates a weird and wild combination especially in the last five years <laughs> <laughs> and and you were saying you worked at omnia which i mean for those that i was going to say those that aren't familiar but i don't think there's really anybody that is unfamiliar with omnia per se i mean that is between omnia and hakasan those are probably the two biggest clubs in the city. And again, I'm talking as a, you know, 45 year old white guy. That's not, not a club guy by any means, but even I know what Omnia is. That is Omnia is the shit. Yeah. It's, it's been world-class, um, Hakkasan, Omnia and excess are like the top three. Um, since I've been at Omnia, it's been rated rated in the top three in the United States. I think every year in DJ magazine as the top clubs, um, very high priced. Um, they call it the ultra luxury brand. You have that crazy $5 million chandelier that's right in the middle. You get your table services that go from anywhere from four figures to five figures for beverage minimums. And it is a fun time. And oftentimes when I'm working there, I'm sitting there staring at the chandelier and I'm just like, 
how is this a real job? And this is such a weird, <laughs> this is such a weird place to be in. Like I, I'm literally getting paid to to carry juice and ice around and basically just pamper and kind of inflate the egos of whoever's paying a uh, high high dollar to be there and basically be the the sober chaperone to the table. How is this a real job? I love that. <laughs> 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 oh man, we talk about I talk about it all the time. It's man, I, I'm so blessed to be to work there. The nightlife though, it's it's really tough on your body. Um, like I said, six months ago, I used to go to bed at six a.m. Now I'm like waking up at six a.m., seven a.m. <laughs> so it's been it's been it's been a complete three sixty, and I can finally sleep eight hours again without having insomnia. So it feels really nice to be back on a normal schedule. But man, I do miss that atmosphere. It's 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 contagious. It's funny you mentioned that whole staying up until six o'clock in the morning thing. When I go to Vegas, I'm I'm a bit of an early riser. I I don't stay up late. I'll make it to one one thirty, maybe two o'clock at the absolute latest. And I think I kind of forget the life that my friends lead because. When I'm there, I'll be like, okay, do you guys want to go for lunch? Like, let's get together at like 1130, 12 o'clock. And, and they look at me like I'm out of my mind because of course they're staying up, as you say, until like five or six o'clock in the morning and, and to get up at, at 1030 to go out for lunch is, is madness for them. Yeah, we we generally close around like four four thirty. There's some other nightclubs that'll push it to five or six. But it's funny when you close up the nightclub and we usually get out the door around five a.m. and you see your table out there, like gambling or you're like talking to some more girls, and you're like, man, these guys are literally going to go all freaking night, all freaking night. <laughs> <laughs> any uh, any celebrity encounters with Omnia that you can share, or are you guys sworn to like non disclosure agreements? There actually is a non-disclosure agreement on what you can say. Um, but just from the pictures that they post, because obviously any super A-list celebrity, they're gonna they're gonna post in there. We had the Chiefs came right after their Super Bowl victory. A lot of sports teams actually come generally to Omnia or Excess right after their championship victory. Pretty much every movie star. Taylor Swift was there all the time when she was dating Calvin Harris. Uh, Gordon Ramsay comes in a lot. Really? I mean, he has his own, he has his own restaurant. Yeah. Really nice guy. Um, a lot of those it's weird though, because they don't tell you when you're, when you're waiting for your table, they pair you up, uh, with a server. So you get a model server, a model busser, and it's usually two to three table sections, unless it's a dance floor. They don't tell you who's coming into the table. So a lot of times you'll get these like people who are either loaded, like billionaires, millionaires, or famous people, and you won't even realize it until you get their ID. And you're like, holy shit, this is fucking Jeff Foxworthy or something <laughs> weird like that. <laughs> like someone like some like B or A-list celebrity that you would like never even expect. That's amazing. I love that. I I never would have pegged Gordon Ramsay as a nightclub guy. I mean, of course it makes sense that he'd go to Omnia considering it's at Caesars and he's got all of his restaurants at Caesars properties, but, but just the mental image of Gordon Ramsay busting a move on the dance floor while Calvin Harris spins on the wheels of steel just cracks me up. 
Yeah, no, no, he's definitely not on the dance floor. He's hanging out in the DJ booth for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the DJ, the the highly touted DJ booth, that's where it's unlimited bottle service in there. So they usually stack the DJ booth with like the prettiest girls in the club. So it could be right behind, you know, Calvin or Tiesto or Zed or any of these other world-class DJs, Steve Aoki and uh, the the more A-list celebrities who are treated like it to hang out in there with them and, get their own private service and not have to deal with the crowd and the tables and paying and everything that comes attached with it. When this ever gets back to normal, whenever that is, and we're discussing that before, you're going to have to come in. I could put you on my guest list and, uh, you know, we'll hang out for a little bit. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you got to remember I I'm an old man, so, you know, I'll be ready to wrap it up by like 1130 midnight. Things are usually (laughs) done by then. Right. Oh man, doors don't even open till ten thirty. <laughs> I, I, I do want to mention this. The funniest part is the DJs, the headliners, don't come on till one or one thirty. So you get a lot of people who get there literally right when it opens, and they're like, "Oh, when does uh, Zed come on?" I'm like, "Oh, he's coming on at one tonight." And they're like, "That's two and a half hours from now." Like, yeah. And if you don't have table service, there's no sitting area. It's all standing room. So you're basically just like walking around the club for a few hours and by the time that dj even comes on you're like man i'm i'm beat you're beat and you're broke because you've been dropping 25 or 30 dollars a drink at the bar (laughs) yeah that's not even an exaggeration (laughs) oh i love it i love it the podcast well i want to talk about this because i've i've been lucky enough to be on the guest list podcast episode i want to say like 32 Something around there. Yeah, 32, 33. I think it is 32, actually. And you are actually still one of the most downloaded episodes. I believe you're in the top five still. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, I I had a, a lot of fun on your podcast. I I really enjoyed our conversation. It was, it was a, an absolute blast. You've taken the Vegas podcast and you've done something that not a lot of people are really capable of doing. You've put a unique spin on it. I mean, there are... And, and I think we talked about this in our conversation. There are a million different Vegas podcasts out there, but most of them come from the tourist side or, or they cover gambling or partying or drinking or whatever. But you have, have put your own spin on it and, and you're covering the stories of locals from a local perspective. And I think that's just such a cool concept. I love it. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's It's been a wild story. And as I said in the beginning, um, I've been kind of attached to all these different groups throughout the city being a local. You know, I went to UNLV, attached to the Jewish community, built up different businesses. And I've just always fell in love with long-form conversational podcasts. And I love hearing people's stories. And I had realized this about two years ago is that there weren't any podcasts that focus on the people of Vegas. All, mo- the majority of them focus on the events that are happening. Uh, you know, like yourself, you give reviews. You also interview people as well. But a lot of it just focused on the bulk of the city. And being born and raised out here, I knew that Vegas was beginning to build bridges off of tourism. And unfortunately, now it's probably going to take longer because of the pandemic. But there's all these various industries in Vegas. I've been hearing it literally since I started working on the strip is Vegas is going to be the next LA. Vegas is going to be the next LA. It's coming, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, all right, if Vegas is going to be the next LA, then there should be some long form conversational discovery platform or like go to talk show. There really wasn't any there. And I do love all of you guys that have done it. But from an outsider tourist perspective, it's much harder 
So I had all these connections and I reached out to I had the first two I had were nurses and now it's built into like up to 55. Half of them are founders. Um, we've had like government politicians on, creators, podcasters, and kind of just showing off to the city what is here outside of just tourism. And the thing I like to call Vegas and Nevada specifically, but more Vegas is there always is a lot of flack when it comes to the educational standards of the city. They, it's always rated in the bottom two or three um, statistical categories. And it's been like that ever since I went here. But something that's not a stat is the entrepreneurism that stems from working on the strip. You know, people can go work on the strip and make six figures working four days a week. And a lot of these people, if you don't fall into the vicious Vegas cycle and give it back and continue to go out, which a lot of us do for a year into until we realize what really is happening. You go out, you go out and you build your own businesses or people go build their own creation or some form like that. And so I really just wanted to highlight all of that in the city and to highlight people's story and personality per se. So the conversations generally go from about an hour to two and a half hours. And um, people always give me flack saying like, oh, it's too long. You know, people aren't going to listen. But I kind of take the Joe Rogan approach where it's like, I write timestamps. You can pick and choose the different sections of the conversation because there's a lot of beauty out here. There's a lot of intelligence and there's a lot of hard work and ethic. And so uh, I've just been very fortunate to build that podcasting platform and to have the city really jump on board with it as well. And I think it's important that you're you're sharing the stories the way you are. I mean, and I fell into this trap for the longest time too. People from outside of Las Vegas don't tend to think of Las Vegas as a quote unquote real place with real people, right? It's a place where most people go to escape from their own reality. So they forget that the city of Las Vegas has its own reality. I mean, I have friends that live in the various suburbs around Las Vegas and Henderson and Summerlin. And and when you drive into their neighborhoods, it's no different than driving into my neighborhood here in Calgary in that as you come in, there's a gas station and a 7-Eleven and grocery stores and, and restaurants and all the things that you would expect to find in any other neighborhood anywhere else in, in the U.S. or Canada. So I think it's, it's important what you're doing in your showing that there is this real life in Las Vegas and there are real people who do real jobs and, and, and have real accomplishments in the city. I think it's just, it's just very, very cool. I appreciate that. It's not, we don't just fly in every day to work as I've been asked multiple times, Oh, what hotel room do you stay at? Do you, do you fly in just for the weekends? Like all these different mechanisms, but Vegas is really just, it's a giant grid and there's so many different subsections. Like you were saying, Summerlin, the Northern area is being built Southwest East side. Henderson is one of the largest cities and fastest growing in the U S and something that our management has always preached to us being in customer service for basically the last 10 years in hospitality is, the venue and the place that you're going to will get the customer there, but what's getting the customer to come back is the person and the relationships that that are being built. So there's a lot of technique that goes into that as you have to be a salesperson, but you also have to build some sort of formidable relationship with that person. And so I, I just really enjoy talking to people because I it, 
I feel like I'm almost on the other end now where it's like for the longest time I had to build these relationships with people to keep them coming back. But now I get to be like the guest and I just get to talk with them and they kind of get to, to flip the switch on me. So that's why I called it the guest list because one day I got home from work after trying to think of a name for the show for probably like four months. Somebody texted me and was like, hey, can you put me on the guest list for tomorrow? And I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's the name. <laughs> that's it. The guest list. So fo- focus on all of the guests and we just get to share their thoughts and tie it to Vegas and also go off on some some interesting tangents along the way. Listen, when it comes to creativity for podcast names, I'm not, you're talking to a guy who runs a podcast called Jeff Does Vegas. Not exactly <laughs> the most creative thing in in the history of podcasting by any means. So th- I love that it was just a an epiphany that just kind of came to you like that. I love it. It took, it took so long. And just going back to our conversation when you're on my show, I thought it was actually called Jeff Does Potatoes. <laughs> 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 Listen, that's maybe coming in 2021. The Jeff Does Mashed Potatoes podcast just might be a thing that happens. If you want to understand that joke, you're going to have to listen to uh, to Jake's podcast. Um, I want to. I do want to hear about some of the guests you've had because you have had some really interesting people on the show. Has there been anybody that's really kind of stood out for you? Oh wow. Um, yeah, there's there's so many to go by. Uh, one of my close friends um, from work, her name's Lisa Love. She's actually, I interviewed her while she was still in the final round to become a Raiders cheerleader. Uh, she was previously a Golden Knights cheerleader. Now she's actually a Raiders cheerleader. Um, she's very motivational entrepreneur, has a few different businesses. Episode three with uh, Stephen Cohen, one of my fraternity brothers, he has a very interesting story where he dropped out of college um, while we're in the fraternity and went to direct sales, kind of bounced around the country, almost became broke and had to live on the east side, then built his own solar company. And I was basically running solar in the West Coast. And he's only 25 years old. Wow. Um, an episode that I'm about to release next week, actually, I got to have uh, Jonathan Jossel on from the Plaza Hotel, the CEO. He's a very interesting guy, um, you know, very, very forward thinking, very sociable. It's hard to put a single point, pinpoint on every person because everyone's story is, is so interesting and the majority of them are founders. So I always say with founders, every, when, you, when you're practicing entrepreneurism, you all, everyone always has that similar mindset on their end goal and their outcome they want. But this tops and turvy up and down, left and right journey along the way is always what I find most interesting. So you do get some bombshell stories there, but a lot of, for the most part, a lot of them are in like the beginning to the middle part of their journey. So, oh man, it's, it's hard, especially now since I've been doing two per week since April it's been stacking up and, you know, I don't want to take credit away from everyone, but it's like, it's almost hard to remember sometimes. I'm like, Oh my God, I interviewed them. I totally forgot that even happened (laughs) (laughs) I have to go back and watch the video or when something, yeah. When something gets trending on there and I'm like, why is this video from three months ago trending? Like shit, I forgot that even happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's not a bad thing, man. That's a good sign. It's you're, you're hustling it. And, and I absolutely love it. And you know, it's interesting too, that hustle, that's something that I've noticed with all of my Vegas friends. And and maybe, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with 
most of them all work in entertainment. So they've got 27 different gigs and things all going at once, but I've never been anywhere where that hustle is so obvious as it is with the people in Las Vegas. Everybody is hustling all the time. It's a, it's a no sleep town. I call it a, what can you do for me right now? Kind of town. It's a, based off of instant gratification, right? So the majority of the people who work on the strip are trying to hustle for that tip. So you have to find different ways in order to get that tip. And, you know, that's not something that is a bad thing. You just like, you have to be part of a psychologist. You have to understand mindset. You have to understand and, and like allude to different situations. You have to appear, appear busy at times. Like there's so many different factors that go into getting a tip and you know, it's the hustle isn't necessarily always a bad thing. It's a lot of times it's good. It's just part of that work ethic and people are striving to build something of their own. So you literally have to take everything day by day and more specifically moment by moment to build that personal relationship and to hustle for it. And so we just, we, we understand what we have to do and you just have to get in that mindset because a lot of us too, we just feel really blessed to be in this opportunity to not be stuck in a, a nine typical nine to five cubicle job, even though those are going to be gone within the next five years. Now it's going to be a nine to five at home cubicle of some sort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it's the mentality that I think it's just kind of bred into us by the way of growing up in Vegas. You see slot machines in the grocery store growing up. You become desensitized to um, the sexualization of, of acts and marketing. So you really just take in marketing and business from, from a really young age and learn that your typical college education might not go as far as working on the strip where you can make double the income and then go build your own thing and quadruple or 10x that income. Very cool. I, I love it. As I say, it's it, it's been really interesting to listen to the episodes that you've put out and and hear about these people. And as I say, as locals and getting those local stories out, because I again, it's very hard to find a niche when you're you're covering a subject like Las Vegas, 42 million visitors a year, and there's a thousand different Vegas podcasts out there. But as you said, they most part, they all cover entertainment or gambling or their, their tourist podcasts and trip reviews and things like that. So for you to, to, to have a, as I say, a podcast that is focusing on those, those local stories and sharing the stories that are real people. I just think that that's, it's very admirable and it's very cool. And I, I, I love that you're doing it. I appreciate that. I like to call it um, Vegas by business, blood or birth. That's kind of the criteria to, to come onto the show and maybe, maybe it expands outwards from there. But everyone in Vegas is so passionate about the city. And as I've learned, people that aren't don't even live in the city are very passionate about Vegas. Jesus, before I dove into this podcast, the Vegas Twitter community is massive, huge. They had no idea about this until I started it and realized that Vegas really is that international hometown for literally millions and millions of people and people treat it that way. That's why everyone's kind of so upset with what's happening on the strip right now and a lot of the the crime that's increased and just the different situations uh, as far as like how the governor is managing it based off whatever your beliefs are. But that's why everyone is so frustrated with it because everyone is so passionate and they know what the city means to the entire world. And I want to talk about that, that whole 
the change of what's kind of been going on. I mean, 2020 has been a bizarre, weird year, obviously for, for everybody. And with COVID being a thing and, and, and everything that's been going on there, um, it's seeing the way things have kind of been going. And in the last few months, as things have started to, to reopen up, there's been a lot of stories about violence on the strip and, you know, and, and areas that are traditionally safe have always been traditionally safe. I mean, I've been to Vegas, you know, 30 times in the last five years. And as long as I've stuck to tourist areas like the strip or like downtown, I've never felt unsafe and seeing what's been going on over the last little while. I mean, there's been some very high profile news stories with shootings and stabbings and fights and scooter gangs and, and all the, the bizarreness <laughs> of all of that. I guess the big question is as a local, are you seeing that? Or is this, is this just a case of, you know, the old media standard of if it bleeds, it leads sensationalizing things it is is this really happening are there really problems in the tourist areas of las vegas right now it, it does appear that there there are problems i think it is being a little bit exacerbated by the media because obviously that's what's getting clicks right now is fear and I th- there have always been issues on the strip but not as many shootings as that's been happening it's been so relevant so i think the media's kind of picked up on it and is now running with it to report anything as far as like a few of the shootings if you like actually look into the details it was just like a firearm that somebody shot into the air as some sort of like fear tactic but the the locals have recognized it that's for sure and they know that that's driving away tourism because fear the, the whole world is in fear right now. So it's just basically just putting another tool into that, into that shed, uh, sort of speak. But the local, the locals were all personally are all just staying off of the strip. I think that's unless you work there, I, I live in the arts district, which is basically downtown. It's on main street right after the strip up until leading to the plaza. Fremont street experience has been packed. And mm-hmm. I haven't heard about any crime that's been happening over there. So, and that's where all the majority of it's locals. Um, as far as like the pools, everyone's going to Red Rock pool. I've been to the Red Rock pool maybe four or five times. And even on the weekdays, it's slammed. It's like mm-hmm. busier than some of the day clubs, you'd think. Same with, with GBR. And I went to this, I've been to the strip once since the, since Omnia closed. And that was about two weeks ago. I went to the Cosmo. I had to park on the bottom floor of the Cosmo, which I've never had to do that before. So I was like, all right, this is already a little weird because people are talking about it, you know, being desolate. Some people are saying it's busy. And you get in there and there's lines that are just out the door to get into the elevator. It's packed, but it's not your, your typical clientele, so to speak. Uh, a lot of my friends that work on the strip are just getting ripped off and their the tip like people are tipping five percent three percent zero percent just getting away with it a lot of my friends who work at these reconstructed clubs which are now lounges and quote-unquote pools the bill will come out to be 500 bucks and they get tipped 20 dollars you know 50 dollars wow so uh, people are very frustrated with that because it, it just it deters them to go back to work and maybe they should just hop on unemployment but you don't want to piss the company off that you work for and you want to keep that good faith there so you kind of have to 
stick with it, which therefore it just, it becomes like a repetitive frustration cesspool in, in, in a way. I have to say, I am happy to hear that the locals are getting frustrated a with what's going on, the incidents in and of themselves and B with how they're being presented. Because as, as the old saying goes, perception is reality. And I'm already starting to see that on some of the various Vegas related Facebook pages that I'm a part of where people are, are sharing these news stories about shootings and stabbings and, and scooter gangs and violent fights and whatever. And they're saying, I don't want to go to Vegas. It doesn't seem safe. So if people are already perceiving that the longer this goes on, the worse it's going to get. And, and it's going to affect tourism in the end. So, yeah. So I'm happy to hear that, that people in the city have finally had enough of this. Yeah, it's tough. I think that's part of the reason why the governor extended the maximum capacity to 250, because as as we've seen, the casinos are actually the ones that are running the city. That's why they opened up early. And, you know, you saw that infamous video in June of everyone walking around the casinos with no masks and then they had to, to adapt to it. So they, they have to make money somewhere. So it's Vegas is really between a rock and a hard place. You know, it's like, do you raise room rates and raise pi- prices back to normal levels and then basically lose out on the opportunity to make any sort of income or do you keep it where it's at and you have to increase the security and make it look like an unsafe place because you have so many police officers and security people walking around and as you say perception is reality so if you're walking the strip and you see three times the amount of police officers you're basically presuming that something bad is going to happen or something bad had happened. So it, it makes you begin to question why you're there in the first place. And then obviously, if you're afraid, you're not going to spend as much money. So it, it is really a weird place for, for Vegas to be in. Um, as far as like the locals, the majority of the time when locals went down to the strip, it was for either gambling, sports betting, and comps. That's like the big one is comps. There's no comps going on at the club, so take that away. I see people at the restaurants for the most part, and they get in and get out. And sports are back now, so gambling is happening, but people aren't going down there. Everyone has said the sports books operated very weirdly. You have to have reservations. There's all these like separation and partitions. So it's I th- it, Vegas is going through a definite hard rebranding. It's just like I think they just don't know the direction where they're going to have to go yet. So it's kind of like this no man's wasteland. It's interesting that you brought up the whole idea of Vegas being between um, a rock and a hard place because I, in the last episode, I had a conversation with Michelle and Dave who run the YouTube channel. We work to visit Vegas. They're vloggers, they're frequent Vegas visitors, they're tourists, much like myself. And one of the questions I posed to them was what do they think needs to happen in order to get Vegas back on track? And one of the, one of the points I brought up was would raising room rates help them? And as, as Dave and and Michelle pointed out, it's kind of a catch 22 because of course, part of the reason that anybody is in Las Vegas right now is because they were able to score a $40 round trip flight on spirit and a $25 a night room at the Flamingo or, or less. And is it better for Vegas to raise the rates and maybe chase away some of those people? Or 
is it better for them to at least have people in the rooms who might actually spend money in the casino or in the restaurants? It's it's a really tough spot for the city to be in. It seems like it's just the strip for the most part, too. Like I was saying, I've been downtown now. Now that I live down here, I've been to Fremont Street Experience at least a dozen times. And I have not seen one issue down there whatsoever. I haven't seen increased security. I mean, they did put the gates up where you have to have a mask to get into the experience. But I haven't seen any issues down there at, at all. And when I've been to the local casinos, I've been to the M. Uh, GVR, which is Green Valley Ranch and Red Rock, also not seen any issues there whatsoever, no complaints. So it seems like it's really just the focal point of the strip. So it, it just makes me wonder, like the the people who are running the show, and when it comes down to the corporations that run it, they're just looking at the numbers. They're not looking at what's really going on there. So they're probably looking at the capacity numbers, and they want to keep that high, which therefore pleases their shareholders which therefore increases their own pockets and, you know, so on and so forth. But as far as like the subjectivity of what's happening in this area, it's hard, hard to know the direction that they're going to go with moving forward. One comment that I've heard from a few people is that if they were to open up the nightclubs and open up the shows and get the nightlife back up and running, it might help to clear up some of the stuff that is happening on the strip. Do you think that's the case or do you think that all that's going to do is take the bullshit that's happening outside and just put it inside a nightclub environment? I think it'll help. Actually the, the securities inside the nightclubs are actually pristine. They're really on par with what needs to be done. Um, they know how to handle those situations and those kind of People end up in the club anyways because they'll save what they have to go to the club or they get on the guest list. So people are coming in for free. Something that I've noticed and just this is just working at the nightclub the last five years is that people really have a priority when it comes to partying and letting loose. I don't know on a biological level where that comes down to, but there's such an emphasis and a need to just express yourself through dancing, through music, through socializing. And all of those have really been then taken away. So you do have people kind of just wandering around aimlessly. And, you know, what happens when there's no, when there's nothing to attend to, when there's no real direction? And that's kind of when crazy shit happens, like getting a car flipped over on the strip or, you know, all these different fights. There are fights that happen in the nightclubs, but those get taken care of really quick, literally within five to 10 seconds, security is on it. So it's not like the ones that you've seen through some of the uh, the Vegas social media accounts where these fights are happening for literally five minutes at a time because there's no security anywhere in the area. Whereas when you have people more confined into an area, there's more oversight. So you're able to, to control the situation. It's just, it's really hard to know without, with the COVID precautions. Like I know some of the nightclubs have said that they're not even going to consider opening up until they can go full capacity because it's not profitable for them, especially with like, the overhead that that costs of having, you know, 250 employees at Omnia and a very expensive DJ and everything like that. So it's like, who really knows what it is, but you know, dan dancing and entertainment doesn't need to happen. I just wanted to circle back to something else that you mentioned too, regarding um, security and increasing security and police presence. You're right. It's that, that fine line of, 
creating a safe environment and raising tensions. I mean, from, from my own personal experience, I remember years ago, my wife and I, uh, traveling to Europe and we get off the, the flight in the airport and we're going through customs and there's, there's guys there with giant machine guns who are all standing around looking very, very stern. And it's that idea of this should make me feel really safe, but it, it's actually making me a little bit concerned for my own safety. And, and I think to a certain degree, I think you're right. I think that that having that increased presence on the strip would probably create more issues than what it would solve. Yeah. I think also with what's happened with the the police brutality and the, the protests and riots and everything, there's even more um, heightened senses when it comes to the police and they're kind of in an awkward place where they want to help but anything that they do can be considered racist or systemic racism or they're taking it too far. So there's there's just a lot of awkward mediums that are happening. And like I was saying, it's called a little bit of like a, a cesspool at this point. So it's just like it's it's aimless wandering. So I, I think especially when that protest happened on the strip back before it reopened, that was that was a crazy weird sight to see. And even now, so you still see peaceful protests happen along the strip in the downtown area. So there's just like, it's a weird whirlwind of, of weird situations. It's, it's a lot of convergence of, of, uh, just a, a ton of different yes. things. And then, and then you throw COVID-19 into the mix and the, the two very different sides of COVID-19, you've got the, the people that are the, oh my God, COVID-19 is going to instantly kill me. And so I'm not going to ever leave my house people. And the other side of it where it's, it's not a real thing and I don't have to worry about it. And you throw all of those people <laughs> into a city <laughs> together where there's then alcohol and, and everything, all of that, that involved. And it's, it's just a very weird dynamic of everything all together. Yeah, I don't know how how the tourists take it at the at the moment. Like, if I was a tourist, I probably honestly wouldn't come. I wouldn't see a point to go to go down there. I've only been down there once since Omnia closed because I was like, there is no reason for me to be down there as far as a local. But now you add tourism, where you're spending money to be in these weird situations that you can easily just sit at home and save your money and just wait until it all blows over. But everyone just so gracious when it comes to Vegas and it feels like it's your home. You know, you don't want these intruders in your home. You want to treat your home nice. And so you don't, and everyone doesn't want to see Vegas fall into this pit and kind of be rebranded as this, this wasteland of, of what's happening. Although I do think that as far as some of the, the gun shootings and the violence, I think the media has kind of ran with it a little bit more than what's actually happening because some of them are just like, you know, a gun situation is terrifying, but shooting it in the air isn't as bad as people actually sh getting shot and dying and whatever the circumstances that surround it. But I know together everyone wants to kind of bring Vegas out of this this dark area, which probably hasn't been hasn't been clouded by this probably since the financial crisis back in 08, which was also another rebranding opportunity. I, uh, I got to be completely honest with you as a as a Canadian who has had little to no exposure whatsoever to guns, 
if somebody pulled a gun in the vicinity of me and started firing into the air, I would, I would shit my pants and, and I would probably be on the next plane, the hell out of Dodge in all honesty and, and sincerity. The emphasis on guns on the strip, nobody had even thought about until that October one shooting. And so it's kind of like ripping the bandaid off or, you know, breaking down the bridge to it where it's like, once it happens and these kind of things tend to be repetitive. That's kind of just like how human nature is. It's like monkey see monkey do kind of thing. You see that with like school shootings and all these other ones. Mm. So I think people are worried that they see this as a growing trend more so than anything else, which they have every right to do. So I have a little bit more faith in Las Vegas as, you know, being usually at the cutting edge to whatever it comes, whether it's security, entertainment, technology, they usually find their face very quickly, but it seems like right now they haven't been able to do that. And that's, what's a weird thing about Vegas is it seems like they've kind of been caught with their pants down and don't really know what to do. And one of the arguments that I keep seeing pop up in various social media channels is Vegas is a big city and there's crime. And no matter what big city you go into, there's going to be crime. Doesn't matter where you go, there's going to be crime. And to a certain degree, yes, that's that's absolutely true. But prior to all of this, the crime in Las Vegas was not happening in these tourist areas, right? It wasn't the, the violent crime that's happening wasn't happening on the strip or or downtown. Um it, really to a tourist, to an outsider, this would be almost like shootings and crime happening on main street USA, right in the middle of Disneyland. If that was happening, people would, would be losing their minds. And and I guess the other question I have, and I'm not sure if you can answer this or not is from what you're seeing or from what you're hearing, are these crimes being perpetrated by locals who are maybe have ill intentions making their way to the strip or is it by tourists who have made their way into Las Vegas who are now there raising shit? From all the stories that I've read, it's all of them have been tourists. The one that happened at the Ario was some sort of rapper that got mad about something about a car. Um, the maj- <laughs> yeah, I, I, I forget. I forget what I forget what his name was. But all of them that I've read are all tourists who came here. I think most of them actually drove down here from California. Um, there's the ah, California is always taking Vegas and uh, just shifting it to LA, which is something we don't want to do. But the the locals are definitely smart about it. And I don't think you would see locals even down there because of, of what's happening. And you see this, this violence trend happening in bigger metropolis cities like New York. The crime is up huge, like 50%. Same with Chicago. I'm not really sure about LA. But I, th- I think it's just because everyone is is kind of finding themselves in the same area as far as like the homelessness and the jobless and everyone just kind of has too much time on their hands. I think that's one of the reasons why the government wants to open jobs back up to kind of create more, more order, less the law, but more, more order than anything else. So I, you know, I, I don't pray a lot. So I, I would say I don't think Vegas needs prayers. I think it just needs more, a little bit more leadership and not even just from a 
a government standpoint, but from the, the corporations and the businesses and from the people here as well. Right, right. So if someone was absolutely 100% hell-bent on going to Las Vegas right now, they they want to book their Vegas vacation, they want to go to Sin City, um, what advice would you give that person? I would take this opportunity to check out some of the more local spots. Check out Red Rock, check out GVR, the M, even downtown. I, I'm sure the majority of people have never actually stayed downtown. and Downtown's been very safe so far. I haven't seen any any issues with there. Um, come down and, you know, go hike Red Rock, go out, check out Hoover Dam, do some of the more touristy things that you've always wanted to do that aren't specifically associated with the strip because it's strips at 50% capacity and a lot of the amenities and attractions aren't even open. So you're just going to find yourself just endlessly walking around the strip. And I can tell you how many of us have walked down the strip with a fat Tuesday and, you know, a giant sugar drink. And we've all done that millions of times. Take this opportunity to do things that Vegas has to offer that isn't just something on the strip. Jake, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on with me today. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, I was happy to be able to get you on to to talk about your podcast and and share the story of the Guest List podcast and and share your story and and also get that locals perspective on what's happening in Las Vegas right now after getting the tourist perspective on the last episode. I, I thought it was really important to to get that that insider scoop, that local perspective as well. So so thank you for that. Um if people want to find the guest list podcast, they want to find you on social media, how do they go about doing that? You can look us up on YouTube, the guest list podcast. That's been getting a lot of trend. All of the podcasts are visually recorded either in my studio or through Zoom. So you can watch all of our little pretty faces as well. Uh, look us up, The Guest List Las Vegas on Apple, Spotify, Amazon's in the game, all these other streaming platforms. And if you want to find me on social media, it's at Jake Gallen, J-A-K-E-G-A-L-L-E-N on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then at The Guest List Pod is the business account for all of those. Probably most active on Twitter. Awesome, Jake. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much, Jeff. Like I said, it's been an honor, a privilege, and I hope that whenever the situation gets taken care of, we can grab some coffee or some lunch in Vegas at some point. I'll post links to all of Jake's social media channels in the show notes, and be sure to listen and subscribe to The Guest List on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And again, if you haven't had a chance to check out Perception is Reality Part 1 with Dave and Michelle from We Work to Visit Vegas, you can find that episode in the archives on the website or wherever you get your podcasts. And that wraps up yet another episode of the show. If you've got feedback on this episode of the podcast or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. You can also email me directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 75 
of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. 